Welcome to the Chop and Beef Show. Live from Mom's Basement. It is your 2006 Most Improved Student from the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. That's me. I'm the Beef. Coming to you back-to-back weeks on the Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. We're going to bring back in Pat Flaherty, my basketball guru buddy. We had a really good response from last week's show. Appreciate everybody listening. Appreciate the feedback that I get. Uh, We're going to bring him in, doing this recording intro before we actually even talked. We're going to talk Final Four. The Final Four is now set. Michigan State and Texas Tech, as well as Auburn versus Virginia. Should be a great couple games. It was a great weekend of Elite Eight, and so enjoy this week's conversation with Patrick Flaherty. I'll see you on the other side. Welcome back to the Chop and Beef Show. Pat Flaherty coming in again, back-to-back weeks. Thanks a lot for being here, bud. Yeah, I appreciate you inviting me back on. Absolutely. The ratings were really good. We had about, uh, I don't know, 15, 20 people listen, so uh, that's one of our one of our more popular episodes, so I'm appreciative. Not a problem. Let's bump it up to 17 or 18 this week. <laughs> What's that, like 3%, you know, 3% uh, growth. A lot of these companies would love to have that. Oh, in a week's time? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So what, I bring you back in to talk to you a little bit about uh, the Sweet 16, the most most notably the Elite Eight, because I think you and I, we, we were having text messages back and forth, especially during these games, and we were talking, uh, we basically probably hit send about the same time, talking about how good the Elite Eight games were. They were awesome. Oh, it's, I can't remember an Elite Eight that's been this fun and exciting. Uh, just every game came down to the wire, and it's just back and forth. There's no big blowouts, and... Every team just played wonderful. I mean, it was just great. It's it's almost like the NCAA tournament is three separate tournaments. You know, it's, it is one big tournament. You had the opening weekend. Not a whole lot happening. But this past weekend, the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight, unbelievable. It was awesome. And especially, I, I heard a stat the other day. I think it was on ESPN. Try to give credit where it's due. I think it was Mike Golick Jr. actually said that the Elite Eight, the combined total point score differential between all of the games, four games, 18 points combined. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, you just you look at the scores. It just uh, yeah, it really shows it. And it goes back to, you know, the committee did an awesome, just did an awesome job this year. They, they picked them right, and it played out the way it's supposed to. Was it the Sweet 16 that we were just like, wow, these games aren't even good? Or was it the week before? I think it was the week it, before. It was the week before. Nothing really That's jumped right. out. I mean, you hop into the Sweet 16, you and I were sort of talking about just uh, Purdue. Holy cow. That I mean, this other. is one of the – one of the best parts about the tournament is you get to watch these teams you don't normally watch. And I mean, I saw Purdue highlights here and there. I saw them play a little bit last year, but not until this year. And the shooting that goes on with that team, absolutely unbelievable. Well, there we always talk about, and everyone always talks about the talking heads, always say that guard play and defense win the national championship in March. And guard play between Carson Edwards, who I believe is the best player in the tournament that I saw, all five foot nine of them. He's probably listed at six two, but he's like five nine. Just absolutely dynamic. And then that Ryan Klein kid, he he's going out unfortunately with a loss, but man was he impressive the other night against Tennessee. 
Talk a little bit about that guy's game, because we were going back and forth with the text messages, man. Holy crap. Well, the, the thing with Klein is he just sort of came out of nowhere. I mean, that's the biggest game he's ever had. And I'm not – is he a junior? He's a senior. Oh, senior? Oh, that's a real shame because when they were playing that night, I think it was at the five-minute mark, he uh, he does this crazy, this fadeaway three. I was like, all right, he made one. Then he does it again at the 330 mark. And then again at the 244 mark. And then he does it when they really needed a big one with under a minute left against – it was Tennessee. Um, yeah. He just – again, he just couldn't miss. I mean, he had just – he was on fire. It was like playing NBA Jam back in the day, and the ball was just on fire, going through the hoop, could not miss. It was unreal, too, because t- Purdue had the lead for most of that game, uh, and then Tennessee roared back. Like, it was almost boring in the first half. Tennessee roars back from, I don't know, was it like 20 down, 25 down? It was yep. so ridiculous. I may be over-exaggerating there, but all of a sudden, Purdue, you, you think, oh, God, Tennessee's going to out-athlete them. Because you got these, I don't know, it just felt like you had the two white kids, I know, here I am, talking about Ryan Klein and Matt Harms, the big guy, big skinny white dude. Mm-hmm. And then you got all these athlete-looking dudes on Tennessee. You just thought, oh, momentum is all Tennessee's, Purdue's going to fold like a cheap suit, and here comes this kid out of nowhere with a career high, what did he have, 30, 33, something like that, 27? He had yeah, 27, whatever, yeah. Whatever it was, it was a career high, and it was just, you're right. Every time you looked up, he was running off a screen, c- catching and shooting with the ugly shot. But, man, it was it was sweet looking. You know, it's an ugly shot, but it was really sweet looking because it was nothing but net. I mean, there was no doubters that he was putting up. No, this, I've seen some of the best three-point shooting ever in this uh, past weekend, just between him and Edwards and, uh, what was it, the Virginia game, the Final Four? They were just going back and oh, forth with Guy. Oh, Guy, yeah. Oh, my goodness. It was so much fun. And what's really cool about the, uh, I found interesting about the Boilermakers and Tennessee overtime game was they dropped a ton of points in that overtime. I think uh, Purdue had like 17 points and Tennessee had 12 themselves. In five, in five minutes. minute period. <laughs> that's, that's some serious scoring going on. It wasn't like they weren't playing bad defense. It's just buckets were falling. They were great, man. It was That was a really exciting game. And I, I don't know, I don't remember. I think it was Thursday night. But, man, my jaw was was to the floor. And then I would kind of start rolling it back up. And the next thing I know, it was on the floor again. And it was just like, holy crap. And then Admiral Schofield hits a big three in the corner. You think Tennessee's regaining the lead. Mm -hmm. Here comes Klein again. Boom. Uh, Carson Edwards hit a big shot in overtime. It it was just a lot of fun. That was definitely my favorite game of the weekend, no question. That was great. So, I mean... Yeah, I didn't see a whole lot Thursday night being a work night, but I saw the, what was it, Florida State? I think that was the other early game, and I have no idea what happened there. Gonzaga just outplayed them from start to finish. That was unreal, man. I spent way too much time the other last Tuesday talking to you about how good and athletic Florida State was and Terrence Mann and, and everybody, and basically thinking that Gonzaga was just going to get out physical. Man, that wasn't even close, man. No, it wasn't. That I mean, was, that was the only, I think that was the really only big blowout over the weekend, and then I mean, the Zags are a good team, but Florida State has played some great games this year, and just not to show up a big game like that was a little disappointing. Very disappointing. I know they ran into a little bit of foul trouble with the big guy early, but they kept playing him, and he was fine. But it really wasn't – it was awful. It was awful. And I'm like, here we go, the first game of the Elite Eight – or the Sweet 16, and this is the product that we're going to watch. And then, thankfully, it all changed over the weekend. So, very blessed and – happy that that was it was very compelling and you know time wise for work it worked out for me that i was able to watch every game so it was awesome saturday sunday oh yeah it's it's uh 
I can't remember an elite eight where I actually sat through the, every single game from start to finish. Because normally there's some game going on where it's just eh, not that interesting. You turn it off. You can do something else for a little bit. But holy cow, if you left for a minute, you missed a big play. Yeah, in just about every game. I mean, yes. that, that Auburn-North Carolina game moving on a little bit, that was awesome. The Houston-Kentucky game was fantastic. Uh, I mean, it was just it goes on and on. Virginia-Oregon was pretty good as well. I mean, there was no – oh, it was great, wasn't it? That was a close game. That was a late game. That one started well after late. I didn't that, see it. So I just yeah. saw the final score. I didn't see it either, but I know it said Virginia survived or something on my little my little pop-up that comes on my screen that I get every morning, so – but yeah, I mean, like we, we as as college basketball fans, we weren't disappointed, you know. I think a lot of these people, the talking heads, are disappointed. Maybe even the NCAA is disappointed that maybe North Carolina, Kentucky, um, Duke, and who else? Maybe Purdue or Michigan or whoever. However, it would have worked out. You would have had three of the big dogs in the Final Four, and now you get none. So no, you don't get, we're going to get, get Auburn. No, it goes back, sorry, it goes back to my original statement. Which is, it's one of the great things about the tournament is get to see the, some of these teams play you never see. I mean, I've seen more Auburn this year than I've ever seen in my life, and they're a fun team to watch. I want to find. I need to find the tweet for a second from the old. Uh, I'll I'll move on while I'm looking, but uh, we have Auburn and Virginia. So one thing I was thinking about too before we came on was was your uh, thought last week, your awesome stat last week about teams west of the Mississippi. We only have one this year, so Texas Tech isn't going to win, right? That's just based on what our knowledge. Based on you know what's happened the past twenty two years, but you saw them play defense the past couple games. They're good too, and that coach. I mean, it's like is he going to get a bigger job, or is Texas Tech a big enough job for him? No, that's, that's always a question. You really never know. I mean, Texas Tech got a little more national attention this year. They got to play Duke early on in the season right. at the Garden, so they got on there. So we'll, we'll have to see how it goes, but it's. It's very tempting for these coaches, you know, to make that jump. But then you think about somebody like uh, Jamie Dixon who left Pitt to go down. For TCU, yeah. I mean, I was very surprised by that. Yeah, that was – I don't – I didn't know. I thought that was either lateral or even a down move. But I guess he's from there. I don't know. Yeah, he's from there. So that's that's why you, you sort of get away from the bigger markets. You know, go back to homes, a place that you love, and a place where there's going to be happy. That's it. Sometimes that's more important. But I think either way, Chris Beard, the head coach of Texas Tech, is going to get a big payday from this. If he hasn't gotten a boost, you know, part of his contract probably for uh, being in the Final Four, he's going to definitely get a payday or, or command it. You know, it could be pulling one of those coach, coaches' moves and start flirting with UCLA because Calipari just signed a lifetime deal with Kentucky because he was flirting with UCLA. Maybe Beard starts flirting and then – Texas Tech has to reward him. I mean, that's that's the lay of the land. That's a, stu- uh, a, a con- what's the word I'm talk- looking for? That's a conversation for another day. But, um, yeah, he's definitely got his team played well. And that defense, another numbers I was hearing was like 45, 54, 53, 48. And that was like the scores that he's held his opponents to recently. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. And to, to get college kids to buy in to play defense like that, I feel is very difficult nowadays. Um to really have that ten team mentality because a lot of these guys are coming from the AAU programs and you know it's all about getting your own. You know, yep. you're you're trying to get that next step into the next college. So you don't really have that opportunity to learn to play together as a team. Even when you're in high school, if you're one of those big ballers. It's just give me the ball, I'll take care of everything else. Yeah, there's no there's no real demand to play defense even in the pros so much. I know they mm-hmm. you know, I know they do play some defense, but 
now he's recruiting kids to come to the school and he, he said the other day in an interview i heard he's like i'm i'm telling him you're going to come you're going to play defense and you're going to win that's how he recruits kids i'm sure it's a little deeper but that yeah. was his, that's his gist when he goes into these kids uh, you know houses and like you said with some of these boys and girls that are going that are being recruited it's like they're scoring 35 a night in high school are they actually going to want to go in and play defense and play a role He's getting some great kids that are able to do it. I mean, especially this, the Moretti kid that is, is tough oh, as yeah. nails. Um, the Jared Culver, the point guard, he's a so- – I mean, he's got two sophomores. Culver and Moretti are both sophomores that are guards, and the Mooney kid's a, a, a senior. But So he's got some really good guard play and defense. It's like on paper, doesn't Texas Tech win the national championship? They should. I mean, uh, one of the things I found interesting about – Moretti, he's actually from Italy. I thought just he had an Italian name. It's like, oh, I know Moretti up in New Jersey. Yeah, um, family, right? To see an actual Italian out there was kind of cool. And just to think about the type of player you need to get to come in and play defense. Those guys who buy into it, they normally have just that different mentality. They they just want to get after it. I mean, they get a lot of joy after shutting you know just shutting people down. And when you can play together with other people that have the same mentality, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, I did want to mention this before we go on, and of course, because it's my show, I always seem to revert back to Clemson. I think I went one week without it last week, but this week I'm going to say, former sports information director from Clemson University, his name's Tim Beret. He's known throughout the media and sports information directors. He's, he's a brilliant dude, but he, he tweeted the other day at, at the 2018 NCAA tournament, Auburn lost to Clemson by 31 points, which is the largest margin of defeat for any team in that tournament. And Virginia lost by 20 to UMBC in the first loss by number one seed to a 16. The next year, Auburn and Virginia meet in the Final Four. That's a pretty good comeback story for both teams. That's oh, a, that does, yeah, that's a tweet directly from Tim Beret. Oh, that is a great story. And that's, uh, you know, a full year ago. You sort of remember that Virginia won, but I didn't remember what Auburn did at all. So this, this does make for a good storyline right there. Yeah. I mean, it was a, I, I don't, I remember vividly. I'm going to say this, but I don't remember where I was driving from, but I was driving. So it may have been, I don't remember where I was driving from, but I was driving last year when they were playing. I was listening to it on the radio, the Clemson-Auburn game, and Clemson was going on a little run in in the NCAA tournament, only to be stopped by Kansas. But I remember just sitting there going, holy crap, how is this team beating that team who I read about? Because that's my MO. I always read about the opponents, regardless of sport. And that, how was that team winning by 31 points? It was unreal. But anyway, you saw the turnaround. It was mostly the same kids um, that Auburn has playing the game. Bryce Brown was definitely a big part of that team last year. Jared Harper was a big t- part of that team. Chuma Okiki, the p- poor kid that tore his ACL, uh, was a freshman on that team. But that's another story, too. Losing Okiki and then being being able to come back and, and beat North Carolina – and then Kentucky, I mean, what a run they're on right now. Well, absolutely. I, I was a little concerned when Okiki went out against North Carolina. It's like, no, this is where North Carolina makes their move um, because Okiki's just a big part of their team. And I think uh, Okiki had a big role on when they play Saturday again, was it? Whenever they played the second yeah. game, Saturday. When they wheeled him out on the wheelchair, I'm just like, holy cow. I mean, just the emotional boost he's given his team right now. They were they, uh, panning the, the cameras over to him. Everybody's this big old smile. Bruce Pearl's joking around with them. And you could just sort of tell 
that it gave this team that this emotional lift they needed to really push through to get to the Final Four. Absolutely. I was a little surprised when I heard that he wasn't there, that the announcer said that he was staying at the hotel to kind of not be a distraction to his team. And as soon as his team kind of went down at three at the halftime mark, and they were fighting back, they were playing a good half, I was like, I wonder if this kid's in the in his hotel room with mom and dad going, man, I got to get over to that. I got to go over to that arena, man. I got to get there. Like, I got to be there for my boys because – I mean, he he's, was a major part of that team, but there's a big, bigger team there. I mean, obviously the team picked him up, picked each other up, and, and ran through Kentucky. I mean, what a run. North Carolina and Kentucky in the same tournament? No, it's impressive. I mean, it's uh, I mean they, they played a tough schedule throughout the SEC. I know some people were talking a little down about the SEC, but when you have to play some of those teams day in and day out and on the road, it just it makes you tougher. It gets you ready for those games. And when you play the teams outside of your conference, they're not used to your style of play. And, I mean, talk about style. you got Bruce Pearl on the sideline there. They just, they just take on his personality. He's just a fireball of energy, and that's how they play their game. Former Seton Hall prep pirate Ira Bowman is an assistant coach on that Auburn team, too. He's currently serving a little suspension away from the team, but just another little piece of information you may not have known. I did not know. That's very impressive. Yeah, 1991, classes, class of 1991. My yep, I remember seeing him play when I was, I think we were in eighth grade when he was a senior. That's correct. I was at Seton Hall prep at the time. That's correct. He's He was a fantastic player, but he was in, uh, he, and, eh, we don't have to get into it. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so it was nice to see where he, he landed. Unfortunately, I read his name in the wrong article, but not about Auburn. So Auburn shouldn't be in, in any trouble because of Ira Bowman. Let's just say that. So. Moving on a little bit more. I think I just yelled into the microphone, so I'm sorry about that. Pat, uh, what else are we looking at here? Michigan State. Oh, man, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about Michigan State. I know you're a Duke guy, but you had to have some uh, appreciation of how well that <clears throat> excuse me, that Michigan State team played. Well, uh, I mean, Coach Chizzo has always been my second favorite coach out there. He just, class act, knows how to get the, you know, he's another one of those guys. He gets people to buy into his system. He gets these hardworking kids to come on in. And they stick around, so they have the opportunity to learn over four years you know, what Michigan State basketball is about. And it showed the other day. I mean, their point guard, whew, he yeah. was impressive. Winston, he was, just, he was doing everything. He was scoring, dishing, playing defense. Um, just a fun game. And for Duke, I mean, that's what happens when you have a bunch of freshmen. I think we might have talked about it last week. Is I, I always go with the team that has some upperclassmen and a good point guard. And Duke did not have the upperclassmen, and their free throw shooting all year long was Achilles' heel. And you knew it was going to come back to bite them in the tournament. I mean, they don't—they almost lost the last game because of it. And it's this one that finally, you know, bit them in the butt. Yeah, I think early on they were hitting a three. I think Reddish hit a three, Zion hit a three, uh, Trey Jones hit a three, and I was like, uh-oh, are they are are they going to maybe get hot for this game and let it carry them? And then I started thinking to myself, well, Michigan State's probably letting them do this. So to, to kind of lull them into almost a false sense of security, like, oh, we're hitting threes now. We're a three-point shooting team. And then they were going to start missing. But, I mean, that that was a great game, too. It was an unbelievable game. It, it, it was an unbelievable finish. It, you know, just really, I can't emphasize it enough how great the Elite Eight games were. I mean, it was. if we can get half of those this weekend, we're in for a treat. Oh, yeah. The game's going to be amazing. That'd be perfect. And one of the curious things I thought also about the uh, the Duke game was how Duke didn't go to Zion Williamson at the end of the game. I he's, mean, he's got to touch the ball. 
He's got to touch the ball, and he didn't touch it the last three times down because the black hole got his hands on it, and the next thing you know, he's dribbling and dribbling and driving to the lane. Everybody's collapsing on him, and he can't do anything. It's amazing to me. I mean, the kid is so talented, R.J. RJ Barrett, who we're talking about. I, I dubbed him lovingly the black hole the other day because once he gets his ball, once he gets the ball in his hand, and that's probably how he was in high school. Maybe he was yes. on a good team, you know, and, and in, in the last five minutes it was just him. But that's how Zion was in high school. That's how Trey Jones was in high school. That's how Cam Reddish was in high school. That's how Javon Delorier was in high school, you know. So sometimes I think – and Krzyzewski's usually really good at getting that that type of player to play more as a team. And it just felt like, is he fantastic? No question about it. Is he top three pick in the NBA draft? No question about it. But you got to trust your teammates a little more. And Zion is the one who's going to get you that basket because at least he's going to bring the ball to the hole. He's going to get the ball to the hoop. Yeah, and probably in the process and get fouled. I mean, definitely, the kid gets fouled more than anybody, you know. Yes, yeah. and when so he physical, and when he misses a shot, most of the time he's the one that ends up getting his own <laughs> rebound, and then he dunks the ball. That's right. So, give him the ball, give him the shot, make it happen. Um, so I know you were mentioning uh, this sort of sidetracked here, yeah. Barrett being a number three pick, and we sort of talked about Edwards a little bit, and I, we got to talk about the Purdue Virginia game at some point. But uh, does Edwards move up into the top three in the NBA draft for you? You know, I was I was tweeting with a guy that I know. There's a Purdue, the guy I was talking about last week with that's a rights for Purdue, and I was having a little conversation with him on Twitter. There's so such a big part of me because I'm still, you know, it takes me a while to get into the, to the college basketball season, but this time I'm like I'm so into it now. I love Carson Edwards. He's a junior. Piece of me really wants him to come back. I mean. Other than Klein, they lose another. They had another uh, one of their forwards, one of their big guys. Not Harms. He's 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 still there, but Edwards is still there. They have three of their five coming back of the starters if if they if they want. Mm-hmm. So there, I know your question had nothing to do with this, and I'm going off on a tangent here. But I hope he comes back. But how can he? I don't know. I think does he? I, he's a five. He's a top five pick. I think now. I mean, he's just so athletic. I love his demeanor. It doesn't change, good or bad. You know that that nice picture we saw this weekend of, of the kid from um, who just beat, who beat him? Um, Virginia. Virginia. Virginia beat him. Yeah, and and uh, I can't even think of the kid's name. Guy. It wasn't guy. It was the the guy with the funny hair. Oh, the yellow hair. Yeah, the yellow hair who hit the who hit the big uh, shot. The Kiki or was it? Yeah, it's, it's the, something oh. like that. But like he hit the shot, and and Carson Edwards was kind of just standing on the court, and he, oh, yeah, dude walked up and kind of you know hit him in the stomach playfully, and yes. Carson Edwards smiled. It was like, oh my god, he does have a personality, you know. It was it was a really nice moment in, in a really big game to have these kids be, you know, they're human and they're kids, yeah. and they're having fun. Yeah, they're just laughing about it. It was it was great. But yeah, let's let's talk about the end of that Virginia Duke game let's or Virginia Purdue game just to get into overtime. So. For the people that didn't watch the game, Purdue's up by three points. They got about six seconds on the clock, and Virginia's been knocking down some threes. So they decide to foul the ball handler. Why do they do this? So you get two free throws, and you make Virginia forced to miss the shot, get the rebound, and make the bucket. And there's a lot of debates that go back and forth. You you know play the D, let's see if they hit the three, they tie it up, or if you make this foul. And I was perfectly fine when they, they fouled the guy, Virginia. What were your thoughts at the time? I thought the same thing, and here we go, back to Clemson. Clemson, not a worthy team, but that's how they did it and lost a game twice this year, did it the same exact way, and I didn't question either one. 
So I didn't question this either. I think that's the, that's a way to do it. You force the team on the free throw line to miss a free throw. So they have to make the first one. They have to. So that's a lot of built-in pressure. And then miss the f- second one. And to ask a kid to intentionally miss and like, oh, just hit it off the rim, it's going to bounce back. There's something really special about that round ball. It doesn't really bounce correctly, you know? So I think it's great. I, I actually am a huge proponent of that. I think it, it adds to the difficulty for a, for a team to pull it off. It just so happened that they did. Yeah, I mean, and the way they pulled it off was absolutely unbelievable. I mean, that ball bounced all the way past half court. They get it. They toss it up, and the guy he still has to make the shot, yep. and he made the shot. It was, a tough it was shot. Just, it was, yeah, it was not easy. It was one of those little mid-range jumpers where you couldn't use the backboard, and he just got it up there, and there you go, two Contested points for an overtime. Yeah, contested oh. shot. And I was excited about I was excited about overtime. I'm like, here we go, buckle in. This is going to be great. And obviously, 17 to 12 in the overtime made it. I mean, it was fantastic. It was really yeah, fantastic. it was great. I mean, and Purdue they had their chances. Edward came down. He took a three pointer. He figured it was going to go in because everything else went in. And then just that one errant pass at the very end. Just uh, that was it. Enough to cost the game. That's all it takes. That all. I mean, literally the whole cliche that we hear in every sport a game of inches it really was that day because if if he makes if he makes that pass i don't know an inch three inches to the right oh, yeah. that pass is caught and then they can they could get at least have a have a good shot or get a good shot i mean just it's un, unbelievable and I, I may have to go back and just wa- rewatch that game because I, i'm getting like nervous even just talking about it after the fact because it was just such a fun good edge of your seat type of college basketball game it's what makes the tournament great it's what makes college basketball great and march is the best time of year it is the best time of year and even though you know your listeners out there might not have seen the game they've seen the score it's just it's one of those things even though you know the ending just watching the whole game to get to that point is amazing i mean you really appreciate the shooting yeah even watch probably the last five minutes you get a good feel of it it was awesome yeah, that was great. And it was, one of the other things I think about in that game was when a guy got hurt right before halftime. I thought that might have been a turning point for Virginia, but I don't know what type of tape they put around his ankles or what they shot him up with at halftime. He came out firing. Did and you he see just really that? put the team on his shoulders, and that's why they won. You saw his ankle turn. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I thought, I was, I thought he was going to be done. I thought he was going to go in halftime. He was going to tighten up on him. He wasn't going to play a whole lot. Nope blow up to the size of my head and just uh, yeah it was like oh my goodness gracious I, yes i think he came out of halftime and he knocked down like two or three threes in a row yeah, it was fine it was fine and you're right i don't know what that's a retape that's a i don't know make sure that thing's stable and probably have a walking boot when you leave but we haven't heard anything reported anyway about him this week and um, we'll see him saturday night at 609 against auburn no oh, i cannot wait so, is there any other major games that we missed from the Elite Eight there? I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think, too, here. I got it right here. We got LSU and Michigan State. That was a little bit of a surprise, too. Uh, Michigan State kind of held held serve in that game, really kind of controlled it throughout. LSU kind of still kept it close, but... Um, I guess that was, that was an Elite... That was a Sweet 16 game. Sweet 16, yeah. yeah. Duke, Michigan State, Gonzaga, Texas Tech. Uh, once again, Gonzaga scores 70 points and loses, and everyone's talking about Texas Tech's defense. Yep, that's, uh, they're shutting teams down. 
And when you're not used to playing against a defense like that, it can become very frustrating for you. And the Zags held it together for quite a bit, but just uh, when you're constantly going up for dunks, you know, guaranteed dunks, and some guy comes out of nowhere and knocks it away from you and there's no foul, it, it just it takes something out of you. Yeah. And the rest of the team starts to feel it also because then you start looking over your shoulder, you know, where are they coming from? Excellent defense all throughout. What did Chris, Chris Beard said? He wants his team to have 30 deflections a game. If his team has 30 deflections a game, they're in good shape. 30! That's, it's ridiculous. But that, that game, they had seven block shots, nine steals, and they forced 16 turnovers. So, I'm sure and that, does, over that doesn't even count the deflections. No. So, I'm, I'm sure they were up right around there. Yeah, they're probably right there. I mean, I, when I heard that stat, I'm like, are you kidding me? 30? That's a whole hell of a lot. And then looking, hearing what you just said, they probably had at least 30. Yep. It's unreal. That team... This, I mean, I, I, I don't know how many times I'm going to say it this week, and it's probably from lack of preparation for the show. But uh, this is this is setting up, and I'm, it's setting me up for disappointment because the Elite Eight was so good. You know, you had such great, compelling stories, some great games, such such great games. All four of the games were fantastic. We're, we're due for a letdown, but I'm I'm praying that that's not true. It's. That's one of the great things about the tournament is you never know what you're getting into. I mean, the teams have a full week off. They're preparing for whoever they're playing next. And it could be – and it's just even with the North Carolina I was reading, they had two guys um, that were sick over the week. And so that really hurt them. You know, like anything can happen during practice. I've seen teams, you know, they come into the Final Four and somebody sprained an ankle. They tore an ACL. So we'll have to see who shows up on Saturday as far as the rosters. But the game should be great. And at this point, if picking games, I might as well just flip a coin. This who's going to win them. Yeah, at, the, at this point, I mean, you have the number two seed in the East, Michigan State. You got the three seed in the West, Texas Tech. You got the one seed in the South, the one that held serve, probably that no one would have chosen out of the four, Virginia. And then Auburn in the Midwest, which is the five seed. I mean, this is awesome because that first week, I think you and I were even talking about it last week, how everyone was, uh, you know, bragging that they were their brackets were so good. Guess what happened about the first night of the Sweet 16? Half of those things were, were busted real quick. So once you went away from chalk and once we got a little bit away from chalk, it, it just kind of worked itself out that I, I know I'm done. I'm in four pools. I'm done. I mean, I, I think I had Michigan State as a Final Four team in one of them. But come on. Yeah, I had my whole ACC uh, Final Four. Obviously, that's been blown up. But if you're, one too. If, you're alum, if you're alumni of Auburn, you're – Probably sitting pretty right now in your brackets. Definitely, not a lot of people are picking Auburn. If you're if you're one of those uh, fanboys that definitely picks their team regardless, uh, which I, I, I used to do when I was a student, I used to do that too. It didn't matter who Clemson was playing; they were in the Final Four. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. So hopefully, if if those guys are are true to their school, they would pick their team. And Texas Tech probably the same way. One of my favorite professors from Clemson actually uh, moved on to Texas Tech, so I'm seeing a lot of his stuff on, on on the social medias about how you know he does the two gun salute now and everything. I'm like, yo, what about your alma mater? Uh, but you know he's excited too, so he's a little he's a good guy, so he's excited about his Texas Tech Red Raiders, and as well you should be. I mean that wasn't expected by anybody probably outside of Lubbock. No, not at all. And uh, looking at the final four teams we have here, I'm trying to think, you know what team do I want to see win? And I'm looking at them like, what team do I, I mean, I want to see them all win. I think everyone would just be a great story. And normally there's always at least one or two teams. It's like, all right, I hope they, they lose. But with this one, I just, 
I'm just going to be happy to watch some basketball. Whoever wins, wins. Yeah, I have no problem with Virginia either. You know, as an ACC guy, we're we're that that conference that doesn't pull for each other, uh, unlike some of the others, like like the SEC, especially in the football realm. But I wouldn't mind. Tony Bennett is extremely likable at Virginia as a head coach, and they play a great style of basketball. I might be in the minority loving Bruce Pearl. I've loved him when he, since he painted his chest at, at Tennessee <laughs> in yep. support of, of Pat Summit's women's team. I think he's great. Has has uh, scandal followed him across his career? Sure. But, hey, if you're going to get suspended for a whole year for having a barbecue for your student-athletes, uh, you know, I know it's a little deeper than that, but that's that was the gist of it. Yeah, I, I, think, so was, I think there was a little bit of a motive outside to sort of get Bruce Pearl out of Tennessee also. Yeah. And, you know, you give them any little bit of Kindle to put on that fire, people will blow it up. But uh, one of the things, too, with this uh, Final Four, too, is uh, you got a lot of young coaches in this one. I mean, relatively speaking, outside of Izzo, who's probably, what, pushing 70, I'm yeah, guessing, right now? Yeah, he's got to be up there. He's close to there. I mean, Tony Bennett's young. Bruce Pearl's, what, early, mid, early 50s? Yeah, yeah. And Beard, I'm guessing, about the same. Chris so Beard's young. Yeah, he's so it's going to be interesting the next few years because you think about the ACC in particular, you got a lot of old coaches there. And we're going to start seeing some turnover. Definitely. And you may see some turnover at my alma mater here soon this year, maybe even. But uh, they're not in the tournament, so we need to stop talking about them. Chris Beard is 46 years old. He was born in 73. Wow. So he came from, he, you know, I was talking about his background last week, about where he came from. He was the associate head coach under Bob Knight at Texas Tech. So he's part of the Bob Knight coaching tree. And he was wow. there for 10 years. I know I was I was talking about all the uh little schools that he was at, but it makes it's making a little bit more sense now as to where he's getting his his uh coaching prowess from. I mean, where Knight made sure his kids were playing defense. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that that does make a lot of sense now. I'm glad you brought that up and they just to learn that discipline. Um should we expect a choking at any point in time? I don't think so. Maybe a, maybe a chair throw, which would be a lot of fun, though. Oh, this would be at least one chair throw per year. I mean, that's great. It's fantastic. He, he's a legend. He's a legend. Oh, he is. No he's question. had some comments down the, over the course of the years that just make you sit there and go, hmm. <laughs> Different generation. Absolutely. But kids sent the, their parents sent their kids to play for him pretty religiously. So uh, he, he won. He won a lot of games. And. You know, he reminds me a, a lot of Shashevsky, uh, and just not not the not the way that they go about things necessarily, but just how they how they really get the most out of most of their players. Um, you know, I don't. I, it's weird. Laura, my wife, was asking me the other day about. She said, "Why does Shashevsky always look so angry?" And I said, "I don't know." She goes, "Well, you don't like him, do you?" I said, "No. When he coaches Duke, no, I don't like him. But when he coaches Team USA, I really like him." But even that, I know we're going off a little bit tangent here, but even that, like he's still getting those big time players to play together. And so that's, there's something really to be said about that. And it does translate to the one and done. So maybe that is why he went that, that route, because I think he probably proved to himself that he can get those big egos to play together and be successful. And heck, he's winning on the world level. You know, he can win at the college level too. No, that's a, that's a very interesting connection you put there. I like uh, how you did that. And, yeah, it was, it was fun watching him coach the uh, the NBA guys. I was a little skeptical when he went into that. I was like, ugh, this, this could be ugly. But people buy into him. And if you ever have the chance to sort of hear him talk, um, I listened to one of his podcasts once, and just 
he's a brilliant guy. He knows how to ask the right questions, and just uh, you can tell he's a real leader and understands how to connect with people. I think if and, you're if you're true to yourself, you have to at least appreciate and respect Mike Shashevsky, and I absolutely do. You know, even when I was a manager of the basketball team at Clemson, he was one of the nicest people. We always lined up, and when the opponent came in the building and the bus got there, we would line up, and all the coaches. And players would, you know, they didn't pound back in the day, so we actually shook hands and stuff. He was always the one that actually took time to talk to each and every one of us, which was really pretty impressive. And, and you know, back in the day, I was a little 19-year-old punk kid who yelled at officials and whatnot. And and so I didn't, I didn't appreciate it at that point, but I wish I had because I probably would have had a little bit of a deeper conversation with him. No, that's, that's a great story. That's that's pretty cool to hear, and that's uh, one of the reasons I, I went from being a Ducator to, uh, you know, love watching the Blue Devils. It was like I watched Coach K, heard him talk, and just uh, gained a, a tremendous amount of respect for the man. Well, good. He's, he's, he's a legend. There's no question about it. But other than Tom Izzo, there's really no legends yet. Maybe some legend legendary scripts will be written this weekend for some of these coaches all really searching, other than Izzo, searching for their for their first national championship, which is another great storyline. I mean, a couple of these young coaches, like you mentioned, Tony Bennett, Chris Beard, they're and they're looking for their first one. Maybe Pearl's probably a little older than these guys, but he's looking for his first one as well. So this is going to be a really good, really good weekend of basketball. I'm excited. It's it feels new to me, even though Michigan State always seems to be there. The other three teams really don't. So. That's what I asked for last week. You know, I wished for something new and fresh, and, and we feel like we have it, I think. I agree. Yeah, and Tony Bennett's been on, you know, knocking on the door for quite a while to get to the Final Four, and uh, to hear that he beat Purdue the same way that his father beat Purdue, yeah. I think 10 years ago, to get into the Final Four is a cool little story yeah. to go into this. So hopefully he keeps on rolling and gets a little bit further than his father did. One of the cool things that I saw this weekend were a couple of the older coaches that were there. Gene Cady mm-hmm. was there from Purdue, and he was unfortunately caught on, on camera screaming an F-bomb at the <laughs> officials. But, I mean, that's what he did when he was coaching. He was the former uh, coach at Purdue, for those that don't know, and he was sitting there with his quaffed hair, perfect. And uh, if it's if it's a rug, it might be. I'm not sure. I never knew when he was coaching. But he was awesome. He's waving his hands down and throwing an F-bomb out. So, And then Tony Bennett's dad there be, being there as well. I didn't put that connection together. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. I mean, I knew they were father-son now, but I, I had no idea. I, I, I don't know why I didn't know that, but I didn't know that. No, there's just so much going on during these games. You can't pick it all up. That's why we're here to help each other out. That's it. That's it. Who you got? You got a text message going? What, what you know? Trying to work. Here. Sorry about that. I, I, I thought I turned it off. I'm sure it's our boys no. trying to get on on air with us right now. That's right. They they hear us. They hear us on the underground here in Mom's basement. So uh, that's what we do. So we got Auburn and Virginia starting at six oh nine on Saturday night. Um, I'm not going to be able to watch that one, but I'm going to have it on the phone going. As we have an event to go to this weekend that you're going to miss. Yeah, conveniently enough, you're going to miss it. Uh, (laughs) The timing was perfect that Bree decided to leave the state. (laughs) I got to stay at the house with the girls. There you go. And Michigan State then at uh, versus Texas Tech at 849. I don't know where they get these times from, but they are all in Minneapolis. One side story, I I probably should have gotten into this a little earlier that I saw. And I don't know much about it, so I kind of have just fringe details and real surface level details. I guess is Trey Jones, one of the. I saw him, he, the Duke point guard, 
with his head in his hands immediately after they lost. Now, it was a very emotional game, very emotional. You know, he played pretty well. Uh, he's a freshman there. Is he a freshman? Yeah, he's a freshman. He's a freshman. And then after the game, they were doing the the the, the art. Um, the people were doing interviews in the locker room, and you didn't see his face. His head was down again. Cam Reddish was next to him, you know, trying to rub his head, um, talking good about him. What I heard, though, and it's kind of a sad story, and I hate to bring this up on on a somewhat jubilant show, but his, I guess his mom was diagnosed with cancer, and he's from that Minneapolis area. Mm-hmm. And so he was really hoping to be able to go home and see, be able to have his mom watch him play and to be able to get a little family time. So I, I just, you know, that it's stories like that that come out at these tournaments. And unfortunately, this one came out too late. I probably would have been pushing harder for Duke. Um, you know, you feel for that kid and, and you hope everything goes all right for his mom. But that makes a lot of sense. Um you know, a little side quick story. When I went to the College World Series back in 2009, I can't believe it was that long ago, Jason Kipnis, who now is the second baseman of Arizona State, they lost to Heartbreakers 2-1 in the, in the final. In the Was it the final? It was the semifinal against Texas. It was awesome. Lineups riddled with the MLB players now. Jason Kipnis lost. He played his guts out. He was a center fielder then. He plays second base now. He was on the ground, laying on the ground crying. You don't get that emotion in the pros. That's why I think I am so so drawn to college athletics and college sports. You get all of that emotion and all of those fun, great stories and unfortunate stories like Trey Jones's in the college game. It's just something really nice about that. I couldn't agree with you more. It just uh, it's one of the reasons why I stick with college football and college basketball is this, there seems to be a lot more passion. The fans are really into it and. You have these kids out there who, you know, some of them are playing for the next level, but the majority of them are playing for the love of the game. I mean, they're just out there playing. This could be the last time they ever get to play together as a team. And to see them lose in these games, it's it's unfortunate that in basketball, there's only one winner at the end of the year, unless you're in the NIT. We'll give them that. But for the most part, it's not like the bowl season for football where you can have multiple seniors go out on top. For these kids, this is it. That's done, and to have that reality come crashing down on you, is, it's tough to handle. Very 67 tough. teams lo- lose their final game of the season. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a tough way to go. It is really tough, but they're great stories, just like Pat and I did tonight. 40 minutes of banter back and forth so far and counting. What else you got? Who are you picking this week? Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's oh, well, let me get out my trusty coin so I can just start flipping it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll go, I'll go first. I'll go first. I'll, I'm just looking at it. You know, I'm going to go off the cuff just for the sake of the show. I'm going to pick uh, Auburn and Michigan State with Michigan State winning the national championship. And that's – I don't really want to do that, but I'm doing it. <laughs> well, if you're going to do that, I'm going to have to go Virginia and Texas Tech. Yeah, on the opposite. Absolutely, no doubt it. about it. And I'm going to uh, – oh, my goodness – the thing about this is Texas Tech and their defense and Virginia, they're, they're sometimes questionable offense. Uh, I'm still going to give it to UVA, though. I, I think this is Tony Bennett's year. After losing uh, in the very first round last year, I think this would make for a great story coming back and uh, winning it all. No question. That would be a fantastic story. And Virginia's known for their defense, too. Maybe not as much as Texas Tech. That game might be like 13-11, to 11, the final score. <laughs> 
<laughs> it'll be a fun 13 11 though, I, I love defense yeah. that's one of my favorite things it'll be great it'll be a great weekend so there you have it i'm picking auburn and michigan state with michigan state the national championship patrick's picking virginia and texas tech we got one more week of this you you up you game for next tuesday <laughs> why not let's do it let's do it we're gonna do one more week of this i'm already teasing it we're going to come back next week and talk about the Final Four and the final game. Hopefully we have fantastic games like we did this week. But I really appreciate having you on, man. Thanks so much for adding so many good stories and really just listening to my long-windedness. Well, somebody's got to do it. I, I, do, I do the short straw out of all our friends. So, no, I really appreciate coming on. It's always a good time. Absolutely. Thoroughly enjoy it. There he is, guys, Pat Flaherty. I know I'm probably jumping the gun here. I want to thank Pat Flaherty again for coming on with me, my biggest basketball, college basketball fan, friend, and and former player. Of course, the NCAA tournament will be nothing without one shiny moment coming out end of Monday, giving you a little sneak peek of it. Maybe it's last year's. Something really special about this song. So We'll leave you on the outro with a little one shining moment. And we'll be back next week to discuss the Final Four and the final game. By the time we come back on the air, we'll know the 2019 national champion. Appreciate you guys listening. We'll see you next weekend. Good night now. Inside you